This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today I'm speaking with Colin Hickey, Senior Vice President of Operations at VidCon. VidCon is a massive conference that brings together up to 75,000 online creators in Anaheim annually. And I remember telling my parents and my in-laws that I was quitting this great Missoula job to go work with this YouTube entrepreneur, and they thought I was crazy. Colin is a longtime Montana entrepreneur and community leader and has grown the VidCon program to produce conferences around the world, including London, Singapore, Abu Dhabi, and Mexico City. Colin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. And my dad was in the Air Force. So I'm an Air Force brat. I Mm -hmm. moved every two years until I was in high school. And I did high school in Lompoc, California, Central Coast there north of Santa Barbara, uh, and I did all four years in high school there. And then I briefly went to the University of Wyoming. Right. I was there for about six months. I was just never really liked school that much. It wasn't your thing. When I was in Laramie, I was doing house shows. Both my brothers were musicians in bands, and I was more of a the promoter of the family. So there used to be a bar in uh, Missoula, Montana called Jay's Upstairs, very, okay. very famous dive bar and uh, they were looking for a booking agent to take over the calendar I wanted to get out of Laramie I wanted to get out of college so I moved up here in 2000 to take over the calendar and shortly joined a band and was booking tours for bands and that was my life for a good seven eight years let's just sort of press on the college piece. Why was college just not the right thing for you at that time? You know, I think school in general never was really my bag. I remember getting my first C in fifth grade and I didn't get in trouble for it. And I was like, oh, this is the amount of effort I need to put in to Mm. get by. Sure. But when I was in high school, I didn't, I was not a great student, but I was great at like junior class president and student body president my senior year. Yeah. Right. So I was good at the the politics of school and and uh, interacting with people, but when it came down to sitting down and doing my math homework, I was like, "Nah, man, I, I'm not in. I'm not, I'm not doing for that. stuff." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so coming to Missoula, landing with that bar, promoting music. Um, talk about that life. What was it that was attractive about producing events and, and booking and, and those sorts of things? It's the people, but it's also like the planning mm-hmm. has always interested me. I was, you know, you read on the road when you're in high school and you're like, I want to go and, you know, travel the world. And so when I joined a band, it was like, let's go on tour. Let's go on tour. And I was like, yes, let's go on tour. So we did three months of touring for probably, you know, five to seven years there, which is tough, especially back then before smartphones. So I also, to make money, because you're not making money on tour very much, I had a lot of food service, right? So I was in food service sure. for 15 years, uh, working lines, banquet chef, sous chef, whatever. Uh, and it's a lifestyle. Um, and so I think for me, it's always been like the planning. Like, I think I just, my brain works that way. Uh-huh. I could see just 
no, whether it's a, a concert or a kitchen, I think the stress, I think, of the kitchen, too, also, like, maybe gave me the battle scars and the calluses to handle large events. Like, you need to be able to have thick skin. Yeah. So, yes, a lot of food service, a lot of working with people. And then at some point, you get into technology and coding and building out online calendars and that sort of stuff. So what what about the online world drew you in? There was about three or four um, promoters in town, rock promoters, mm-hmm. I'll say. And we just kept on booking shows the same weekend and not telling each other. Just going up against each other? <laughs> yeah. Just accidentally? Or... Yeah, like small town too. And so like I'm putting up my poster for my show at Jay's or the other side or wherever. And then I see Josh Vanek putting up his poster for his show on the same weekend, the same day. And I'm like, guys, we're, we're killing each other here, right? There's got to be a better way to inform each other on what's going on, also inform our people that we want to come to our shows and the internet was getting better at yeah. that time. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to say that. Yeah, give us some years here. What are, what I are we mean, talking? we're probably talking 2007 and eight. Yeah, okay. Around there. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to make a website that we could just put our, our, our shows on. And my oldest brother's a network engineer, very smart. Um, and he had a friend that's a coder. Uh, Hank Donovan, who now owns Rattlesnake oh, Cables. Yeah, in, yeah. In friend of the show. We got Rattlesnake Cables right here. Oh, there we go. And so Hank and I and Shane had lunch, and I was like, here's what I envision it. And they were both like, yeah, that's great, but you're thinking out you're too small. It shouldn't just be music. It shouldn't just be concerts. It should be everything. It should be arts. It should be education. It should be a, a calendar of the community. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, I borrowed some money from my brother. And Hank made the first version of what is now called MissoulaEvents.net, which was then called GardenCityEvents.net. And I was doing it all by myself in my house while working at the Iron Horse on the lunch line and then uh, working at Jay's and then touring. So juggling a lot. That's a lot of pieces. Yeah. And I remember at the time, like, you know, I was hoping for this, you know, warm community embrace of like, this thing is so cool. And then there was an, a short-lived online, I don't even know, it was called NewWest.net. I don't even know what you would call it these days. It was like a, it was a, it was ahead of its time. You know, they covered politics and development in the Northwest. And it was owned by uh, Jonathan Weber, who taught at the university a little bit. And he was like, we need a calendar version. Because they were like in Boise and Missoula and Bozeman and the Flathead and Salt Lake. And he's like, we needed this calendar that looks great. And so he's like, I'll buy it off you if you come and and run it for all these cities for me. Okay. So they were going to buy your code and ask you to replicate it in other communities. Totally. Um, and I was young and the band was kind of on its way down. So like, run its course. We yeah. were kind of like, we're not going to make a million dollars. Sure. And so I sold the code to NewWest.net, and I had a buyback clause in it, okay. uh, which my older brother told me to do. Very smart. And that says, like, if they shelve it or decide not to develop it, you could buy it back if you yeah, want to write the a company, first refusal kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, company goes under, doesn't work out, I can get my code back yeah. and just keep on going. Um, so I went and worked at NewWest for probably two years and ran all those, those sites for them. 
Um, they also bought the indoor ad company in town for the bathroom ads that you see in local Oh, bars. yeah. Yeah. And so I was helping run that too. Um, and that's where I met Mo- Molly Bradford. Right. Um, Molly, previous guest on the show as well. Wonderful, wonderful friend of mine uh, and business partner. Um, and so it started to not work for New West. Like I, like I said, they were ahead of their time. Like online advertising was not a thing. Yeah. Um, so selling, early. yeah. So selling online ads was like just foreign language for any business. Uh, Molly had her work cut out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the writing was on the wall. I was like, this isn't gonna work out. And then approached Molly, and I was like, I, I could buy these sites back. I'm sure New West could use the capital. And she and I together were kind of running the indoor ad business. So we were like, well, let's just buy both. And start a company. So we did. We got a loan, um, and first first security bank, and um, bought back the code in the advertising business, and went at it on our own. Mm-hmm. And what is now Gatherboard, right? Which is now Gatherboard. That was wild. We quickly found that it wouldn't support both of us. So I landed back in the kitchen, um, and still working nights doing Gatherboard stuff. Jonathan Weber, who on US.net. Mm-hmm was the graduate professor for Hank Green. Okay. So I met Hank in the offices of NewWest.net, and he was finishing his degree. He had just started his YouTube channel with his brother, um, and we just became friends. And so after partying there, we we would see each other once or twice a year and check in on each other. I left my job at the Holiday Inn as a banquet chef and applied to be the marketing events director for the Downtown Association. Okay. And Linda McCarthy, great friend and mentor, took a chance on me. I was the only uh, person she interviewed out of the 10 that made the final cut that didn't have a college degree. And I Mm. got the job. Um, And I I think it was a little bit of all of those things. You know, having this online calendar, having years of experience of promoting huge shows in Missoula, having that food service experience. Like, I think she saw something there. Uh, and so I did that job for two years. Um, you know, Christmas parades, out to lunch, downtown tonight, yep. Roots Fest, car shows. Never. I remember the first time I did the Christmas parade, and I was like, I never in a million years would think I would be running a Christmas parade. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how you end up in those moments? Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could not have scripted this. <laughs> and um, Hank and I had... Um, you know, we would have lunch and he would tell me about VidCon. He had just started it. Yeah, VidCon had started at that point. What are we talking, like 2010 That would have been 2010. Yeah. Uh, and he started it and it was, the first year was 1,500 people and a ballroom of a, the Hyatt in the downtown Los Angeles, or Central just, City. We should just signpost this for listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is VidCon? Why was it... Uh, a unique thing. Yeah, give us give us kind of the origin story of, of VidCon. Yeah, so Hank, you know, YouTube had just started up. It was a thing. It started to go away from just cat videos to, like, these personalities-driven yeah. channels, right? These vloggers or whatever. And and Hank saw that. He saw that what the, the future of YouTube was going to be very quickly uh, and saw other shows like his and his brothers that got these kind of online cult followings. They created these amazing fan bases. And he was like, there needs to be a place for all these people to meet, not just the creators themselves, but also their fans, right, in person. Um, and he was like, if I don't make this, someone will, and they'll have worse intentions than I do. Mm, um, interesting. And Hank being, you know, 
the nicest human being in the world, uh, just created a really fun event. And that first year, it was small. It was just like, you know, just a couple small panels. Sure. And just now some of the most famous people in the world hanging out in this ballroom. Um, and it just started to grow. And he had hired a production company. He doesn't know anything about live events. He was like, I just need to hand the keys to somebody. Sure. Run this thing. I'll give him my input on what creators we bring in and what the programming should be. But like how big the stage is and, and <laughs> what color the carpet should be was not something he wanted to be in charge of. And Hank's like, well, yeah, my show's now moved to this convention center, and I, I think we're going to have 6,000 people this year. And I was like, whoa. And so I had him and his lovely wife, Catherine, over to dinner. He had been. T- he told me, he was like, I just need someone on staff that like knows events and marketing. Yeah. So he's having second thoughts about outsourcing this operation at that point. Yeah, I think he saw that it was quickly getting it out of control and um somebody he needs to trust somebody in that seat yeah and the company that was running it they were great um they were based in san francisco but they were a large event company sure i think he wanted just to have a tighter grip on it and he did he was busy i mean if you know hank he has always probably 30 million ideas and seven businesses yeah so he was you know at the house he was like i'm looking for someone to do this and i was like great man well if i think of anybody (laughs) i'll let you know and then he leaves, and I'm laying in you bed. you got to learn to read some context clues here. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, in hindsight. <laughs> so I remember laying in bed that night with my, my wife, and I was like, I think Hank was talking about me. Yeah. She was like, yeah, dummy. <laughs> you were the only one at that dinner that did not read into that. Uh, so I texted him the next day, and I said, hey, I, I think I could be that guy. And he was like, yes. So, <laughs> um, and we started talking about it. And then um, I just took a leap of faith, and I said, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had to tell the downtown association that I was leaving. It was a hard moment because I just really love working with Linda. And I remember telling my parents and my in-laws that I was quitting this great Missoula job to go work with this YouTube entrepreneur. <laughs> and they thought I was crazy. They were like... You can't do this. You know, you have a, a young family. Like, are you sure this is going to be around? And I'm like, I just believe in this guy. We'll be back to my conversation with Colin Hickey after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hi, this is Joe Anderson. I am the CEO of Reflex Protect, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to New Angle. I'm speaking with Colin Hickey about the amazing world of VidCon. Now it seems like such an obvious choice, although at the time, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows that YouTube is going to become what it is, that, that Hank Green's creative empire is going to do what it does, and that VidCon... It will will do it. It it eventually has done. So yeah, you know, I I can see how in that moment you would, and and it just it represents this sort of new thing that people aren't familiar with. And if you don't see the potential in it, you're gonna think that's not a wise choice. I think the invention of the smartphone, and then like you could take YouTube with you, mm-hmm. you know, and then what YouTube has done, and then other platforms have done since then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where so. social media has gone since 2010 and till now is insane right so 
obvious choice now <laughs> in 2013. Not so obvious. Yeah. But sometimes you got to follow your gut. Sure. And so now VidCon, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, I think your max uh, attendance at the, one of the Anaheim shows around 75,000 and some disruption during COVID, but now shows around the world. Um, yeah, kind of give us the summary of that explosive growth that, that you experienced, but also led as well. Michael Gardner, who was the COO at the time, he and I started hiring people and we were definitely in over our heads. We made a team out of, out of just folks that, in Missoula and folks that were just kind of diehard Hank, fan, Hank and John fans. And we did a show in 2014. The attendance doubled that year, Yeah, sold out, you know, in days. And that was the explosion of of YouTube fandom mm -hmm. that year. Like we, I remember waking up that first day and there was a line out the door that was around the block. People started lining up at like 3 a.m. to get in line to meet whoever they wanted to meet that yeah. year. Uh, it was wild. Um, YouTube and personalities. This is the <laughs> sort of uh, origin of influencers online and that kind of whole genre of celebrity in many ways. We were not prepared. Uh, and that first day was bad. Um, and then we, we had a great team and a lot of them are still with the team now and we just were flexible and we figured out how to fix it. And then what we did then was just try to figure out how to tweak the show and grow it. And it was growing from there, um, almost doubling per year. Like we went from eight to 12,000 to 24,000. We got pretty good at it to be, to be honest, like the show was running really well. There was always a, a moment or two of controversy, a viral moment where someone wants to do something stupid and, sure. and I think what Hank quickly realized was he and John couldn't be they couldn't own this thing much longer because it just takes one bad live event to kind of destroy a brand that mm -hmm. he and his brother have built forever yeah and by then we were doing shows international we we did three shows in Melbourne we did two in Amsterdam and ultimately they decided to sell to Viacom mm -hmm. this is what 18 right yeah 18 okay which at the time was scary. Yeah. Back in the day, like YouTube and Viacom had a pretty large, famous spat. You know, we lost we lost some staff when when we made that transition. Um, you know, we went from pretty much being ninety percent in Missoula to now, uh, as of today, like half the staff is in Los Angeles. One's in New York. One's in London, San Diego, and then some. And we still have ten or so folks in Missoula. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then, you know, you, you get bought by the Shine Corporation, who, to be honest, has been wonderful. They, they kind of just let us do our thing. They were like, we don't know how you do what you do, but now you have support. Sure. You know, like, so now I have a legal department and HR and finance team, which <laughs> before was like me and Michael, like redlining contracts. So, you know, then Viacom merged with CBS and then they rebranded at Paramount. And that part has just been wild. Sure. Right? But All now, the changes. Yeah. It gives us that opportunity to have those resources, but also bring some iconic brands to the show. I mean, mm -hmm. Nickel Nickelodeon was already a sponsor of VidCon before we were bought. Um, and, you know, they're owned by Paramount. And so, and like MTV and Comedy Central. And so a lot of that does make sense at the show. Um, and it also gave them access to creators, but also creators access to these iconic brands which has translated really well. Um, and so I think I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think it's actually worked out really well. Since the acquisition, you know, we did shows in London, and then that's when pandemic hit. 
And that's, I think, the blessing there is that this, we wouldn't be around. Because if it was just owned by Hank during the pandemic, he couldn't pay us Mm -hmm. out of his pocket, right? Paramount took a a gamble on us, and they were like, what are you guys going to do? And we were like, we are going to pivot online for this year. And a lot of events, you know, were doing, like, the online weekend of their show. And we were like, no, let's do a whole summer. Yeah. And make it free. Uh, So we created VidCon Now, and it was four or five sessions a week um, online. None of us had experience producing online content. It was a tough year. Yeah. And we made it work. You know, we came out of the pandemic, 50,000 people, um, which was great. And then at that time, we were run by our GM, Jim Lauterbeck, who Hank had hired to help sell the company. He ended up retiring year plus ago, and myself and Sarah Totoretti, who's uh, who at the time was VP of marketing and I was VP of operations. Uh, Paramount decided to make us co-leads of the business, which yeah. was a big day. Yeah, for the guy that dropped out of college. <laughs> we launched VidCon Mexico City in the fall of last year, to huge success. It was you know fourteen thousand plus people year one. Yeah, um, and being on the ground there. You felt that 2015 Anaheim energy. Nice. Now we have these robust uh, research department at, at Paramount, and we say, "Hey, we, we want to look at that region. We need to identify how many people come in from 400 miles. What ticket price would they pay? How much merchandise would they buy? Like all of that." And you know, it takes you know five to six months to get this research, but we get this amazing document that feels like we're making real informed decisions now before when we were just kind of throwing darts at a map. I always, I just feel like the show is relevant and it always will be because this space isn't going anywhere, right? So as long as we're doing it with true purpose and good intentions, I think what, how Hank started it, right? Yeah. As long as we stay true to his core values, um, I think we're doing good stuff. Well, and I think keeping leadership here in, in Montana is probably a big part of that, right? It's grounded in that value set. Yeah, I, yeah, and that's funny too, just because, you know, I spend a ton of time on calls with sponsors or whoever, and hey, well, we want to take you out to lunch to talk about next year's show. And I'm like, okay, well, I live in Montana. And they're like, what are what do you mean? Yeah, where's that? <laughs> and I have to give them that breakdown of the story, and they're like, wow, that's wild. Like, you didn't move there during the pandemic? or. Yeah. Yellowstone, that show, you know, Yellowstone's a Paramount show. So (laughs) I do think there's a certain, like the, the culture of, of Missoula and, and of Montana itself, like is seen at VidCon still. Yeah. Which I think is really good. I would love to get you on the lightning round. Pandemic just sort of, we experienced just a rush of investment and development in streaming media. Where do you think streaming media lands at this stage? Each one of them has a couple of like strong anchor shows. Yeah. And so you're yeah. like, if which I makes it hard as a it consumer. It makes it very hard. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I still haven't seen Ted Lasso because I don't have Apple TV. Yep. Right. Um, and I think at the time the pandemic made a lot of sense. Now it's getting to the point where if you want to watch everything, you need to buy all of them. And then you're almost like, well, wasn't this what cable was? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there'll be a consolidation of a couple more um, of these big streaming services um, probably very soon. Okay, AI, writers in Hollywood, writer strike, all of that. 
I don't know, terrifying, but also like, is it a flash in the pan? Like, I don't think AI is going anywhere. But like, even in the last six months, I feel like I'm hearing less and less. So I think it's here to stay. We should probably be very careful with it. Regulation and big tech in general. Uh, Monopoly power, undue influences on, uh, you know, young people, et cetera. I would say as a parent, my personal view is I have a teenage daughter. I am very cautious about what she puts on her phone. And I have honest and open conversations with her about what's out there. And I think everyone needs to make that decision themselves. And I'll leave it at that. Content abundance, right? Like you can get any opinion served to you that you want. And then the algorithms will drive more opinion in that space and more extreme opinion in that space towards you. It tends to polarize us to a large degree. How do you feel about the information, the health of our information ecosystem in general? I mean, I think that was always there to begin with, though. Like if we just took technology away and I just had my my circle of friends mm-hmm. of 10, we probably all have the same views about a lot of things. We're probably already a bubble, right? Um, our bubble is just bigger with more people who we will never meet. I think when I first downloaded TikTok, it was like drinking from the fire hose. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't need this video. I don't need this video. And quickly it understood what I wanted. Yeah. And now when I'm on there. Maybe even stuff that you weren't aware of that you wanted. Yes. And so now when I'm on there, I do feel like it's a good experience. And I still get that experience from YouTube too, because yeah. I've been on there much longer. And so I don't know. There's something about being catered to. Um, and I think it's an expectation now. Probably should put a time limit on your phone. Would journalism and content in general and the user experience be better if advertising was not the sort of central revenue model of how we deliver news and content? I mean, you got to pay the bills, so... Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mean, we have... It's a terrible business model, except it's better than the other ones we've been able to figure out, right? Yeah, I think it's important to have the journalism. There's a better way to do it. I don't think they figured it out yet. Um, I don't know. You're always going to have advertisers and then you just, the, the separation of church and state as much as possible, you know, don't let them influence, uh, what you're writing and researching, I think is important. I don't know. Find advertisers that share your same values and love of journalism. All right. You want to take a position on Twitter since we're, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I was just throwing it. I was escalating in my uh, level of controversy. I famously... I don't, I don't, I've never used Twitter that much, um, but I have it. And I remember, I think it was like I had a Twitter account for 10 years. And I tweeted, and it was my 100th tweet in 10 years. And Hank Green liked it and reposted it because he, he had had 50,000 or something like sure. that. And he was like, I was like, am I doing Twitter wrong? And he <laughs> reposted and he was like, I, I think I'm doing it wrong. And uh, it was my, you know, I got like 10,000 likes. And yeah. I was like... Oh my. So I, I don't know. I think every social media is, you find ones you like, you go with them. And then, yeah, Twitter itself, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. People always have the choice to not pay attention. Exactly. You don't have to log in. Yeah. Well, Colin, fantastic conversation. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And thanks for you know doing this good work from Montana and keeping... Uh, the state having a voice in some major cultural events taking place in our media world. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. 
and we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.